Welcome to Music in the Church with Sarah Bariza, a monthly podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician, and today I'm joined by Dr. Aiden Fernandez, a musician in California. And I'm also joined by my small baby, who you may or may not be able to hear. Currently, he's on the floor playing, making lots of baby noises. Um, so if you hear baby noises, you're not dreaming it up. So Aiden, I am so glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having me on. Will you tell us a bit about yourself and your background in music and what you're up to these days? Yeah, I grew up out here in Los Angeles. I started piano when I was like six or seven, but didn't really take it seriously until 16 or 17. Um, started classical music kind of late in my career, around 18, 19, maybe, probably 18, I started Chopin. I started, uh, studied with a lady named Silvana Fraga, and then I went to Azusa Pacific, studied piano there, kind of refined my technique a lot more there with Dr. Tao Chang. And, um, but at that time, I realized, to be honest, I kind of got into organ playing because out of practicality, like it seemed like the only position that was kind of open in my area. There was a lot of organ positions that people were looking for. So um, I said, you know what, that, that, that could be something I could do. And then it just so happened that the organist at the church where I was, I was leading worship, I was a worship leader, um, doing all that stuff there. The organist at that church was uh, really amazing. UCLA grad and Whitty, uh, Whittier College University organist, you know. And he was playing the fugue um, from um, Bach's uh, St. Anne Fugue, the prelude mm, yeah. of yeah. the E flat. And it's such an amazing piece. And he was playing it and I go, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? That is amazing. And so I studied with him for a while, Dr. Neil Stipp, and just, you know, got me going to Claremont, studied with Dr. Robertson there, and just finished my, my doctorate over at USC in sacred music, where I studied uh, organ, musicology, choral music, and sacred music. You work in a church, and you also do, I think, community choir and orchestra? So I worked with a community chorus before. I was the assistant director. Um, but I, le I left that position um, because it was just too much, too much stuff. But yeah, now, you do a lot. <laughs> a lot. You know, because there's so much, like, the way I think of church music is that it, it's kind of like Bach. Bach has been always uh, key in how I modeled my own career because, you know, he worked in Weimar. He worked in uh, Arnstadt. He worked in Leipzig. And he didn't always work for a church. He worked for a college. He worked for uh, a duke. He worked all these different types of things and each one kind of had its own um it brought out different talents of Bach you know different different pur purposes you know from his concertos to his Saint John passion just the different jobs demanded different things and but they all kind of felt unified in his in his faith so I, everything that I do from director of choirs here at Holy Family and the organist here um, to my children's choirs, to the youth orchestra that I direct, um, to the, the National Children's Chorus, which I work with also, and then at the college where I work at, at Cal Lutheran. It's a lot of stuff, but it's all kind of saying the same kind of stuff about music that I don't feel is so separated. Yeah, you, you have a unifying feature to these different areas that you... I hope, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So in today's episode, I think we're mostly going to focus on music making as we're currently doing it in our churches and you with 
the different areas that you're working in have a really wide range of experience in leading virtual rehearsals and just virtual music making in general. Um, mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about that and how you how you accomplish that ideas you have for um, people who are doing that in their churches. Mm -hmm. But let's start first with some motivation here and some mindset. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking specifically how when I see the work that you're doing, you come across as very realistic, not like a Pollyanna approach to this, but just like, oh, okay, here's where we are. But you don't at all seem defeated or at least on the surface discouraged by where we are. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a mindset of flexibility. Um, it's it's really hard because, you know, we, we have this image of what we wanna do and we get so enamored with it that like that's where our identity is, you know, like, I just, you know, we're looking for apartments with my fiance and I love this, this new apartment. It had as a loft and I was so loving it. It was great. And then, you know, something went down with the deal that we didn't like. And we said, oh, we're gonna have to pull the lease um, before we get started. And so you just move on and you, you, you don't tie yourself so too much because in the end, it's what we have is in, internalized, you know? So for me, um, when COVID hit, we were going to do the Mozart Requiem in its completion. We were going to do that and we were ready to go. We had um, some cantors ready to do all the Gregorian chants for the actual Latin mass that it would be part of, right? Um, but that all fell through like a week before we were going to do it. And so, you know, I had a week of just going, ah, this sucks, this would have been great. But then you start looking at stuff and you say, okay, well, this is where we are now. And so we got to just move forward, you know? And I kind of get that from my dad. You know, my dad lost his job early on in, in, in my childhood. And the next day, I remember him getting up in the morning and just looking for new customers as a, as a, as a business guy. And he started making money the next week. It wasn't a lot, but he did what he could. So um, that's kind of where I get that. And, um, you know, I try not to philosophize a lot. <laughs> in the Catholic Church, there's a lot of tendency to uh, make everything metaphysical. And when we do that too much, we lose, we lose that connection with the real people right in front of us. Um, so virtual choirs is where we went, um, but everybody does it a little bit different. You know, the, our choir, um, I've been able to make PowerPoints that kind of streamline everything, uh, which actually in some ways it improves the, the, the efficiency of the rehearsals because it does streamline everything. And then I also have like little memes in there to break up the tension and, you know, cause it's so they're funny. Who doesn't like memes, you know? Um, Will you tell us about these PowerPoints? Are you thinking, is this like, um, so you're following along with this as you do a rehearsal, like to structure it? Actually, let me, let me pick up Frankie. Are you like on, on Zoom and using a PowerPoint? Yeah, so what I do is, and I have a slightly different setup cause I, I lead my youth orchestra still the same. Um, and so the youth orchestra, we have about maybe 16 or 17 kids and, um, and I teach them on Zoom. And the way it works with them is I start, the kids actually run the rehearsal a little bit. I give them the power to just do that. And they make the PowerPoint and they talk about what we're going to talk about. I have one of the kids lead the, war the warm up in the beginning so that people can follow the, the technique. Um, and I have them prepared the week in advance so that they have something ready. Um, then we also do some sight reading on sight reading factory. So I share my screen and it just projects on their screen and they all read together. And I lead from my keyboard, which I'm playing through my, my um, digital audio workstation, my, my Logic Pro, so that they can hear it as well. 
and they follow that. And what I do for the, the orchestra is I, I do a takedown. So I play all the instrumental parts and I use Spitfire Audio to um, put all the parts in and it's pretty good. Spitfire Audio is really good except some of the articulations are kind of not as good. So I is Spitfire like a editing software? Yeah, it, well, it's a it's just a plugin that you can use in like um, uh, GarageBand or Logic. Um, so it's a great plugin. It's it's actually free. I'm not advertising for the company right now, but it, it is it is free. Um, you can get you can get the upgrade, which is like four hundred dollars, but I just the free one's fine. Um, so anyway, I do a takedown, and that takes a long time, but it's worth it. You know, it takes a few hours of take take down taking down all the instruments. Um, but in the end, what the, the what you get is a, a track for them to play along with that you can um, control the tempo. So when you're working with them, you can control the tempo and say, okay, let's try that again, but we're gonna slow it down a little bit because I can see some of you struggling a little bit on this. And I say C because I can't hear them, we're muted. And then we can, then if I see something, I'll ask something, I'll ask one of the kids to play it solo and then we, and he'll be a model or she'll be a model for the other kids. So. Yeah, so that's how the odd that's how that works, um, and it's been going pretty well so far. So you're actually watching watching them, I guess, like in a gallery type view, and you can see yeah. how they're doing, even even though you can't hear them. Yeah, which is actually a big plus because you have to watch them. You have to watch their fingering, their technique, their relaxation, and it really gets them to play a little bit better. Uh, at least I think um, because they have somebody watching them straightforward. Which is, you know, it's a good tie into how I work with the choirs. You know, I'm watching them, but now I'm watching their vowel shapes a lot easier. I'm paying much more attention to their 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 vertical and and uh, horizontal axis. I'm paying much more attention to their breath now. So breath is now a big important thing. And with them, I have a PowerPoint. Also, again, these are just like lesson plans, but you know, streamlined in a PowerPoint. And um, I start off with a prayer, you know, something from Isaiah 6 or something, holy, 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 and we, we do some prayers there. Um, in the chat box, I use that function for everybody to say hi and name some goals that you want to, um, that you want to work on, like pitch or accuracy or breath or control or support or whatever. You know, something that they could keep in mind throughout the whole rehearsal, because if they don't feel like they grew a little, a little bit in that rehearsal, then, you know, why show up in, to any rehearsal? So they have that in mind. And then um, I do some stretches, some exercises with them. And I show images on the PowerPoint of what I want them to do in stretches. They're very specific. Like their postures? Postures, you know, some of them have to, um, I see, have images of people rotating their neck and how long they should hold it. Because rather than me just showing it on the PowerPoint, I mean, showing it on my screen, if you show actual images or cartoon images or whatever of people doing it, They'll take it a little bit more seriously and they'll model it a little bit easier, I've noticed. Um, then I go into some warm-ups and I put the exercise up there on the PowerPoint for them to see, you know, um, range, um, pure vowels, um, things to work on. This uh, is your, you're uh, approaching this from like in a really pedagogical way of like different, different ways that we learn or that we um, receive information. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like the first 15 minutes or 20 minutes of every rehearsal are, are, are lessons, are free lessons. So they're not warm-ups, they're lessons. They have to, 
you know, so that like I have new members in the choir joining in and they'll say, I don't know how to sing. I don't know if I should join. It's like, it's because you don't know how to sing that you should join. So it's a good way to think about it. And then right after that, we go into some sight reading. I use Sight Reading Factory for them and they'll sing things through solfege and you go and do that. We'll spend maybe about five minutes of that. And that's really helpful for group dynamics because um, somebody will volunteer and do their best and everybody will say, hey, that's a great job. They'll help, they'll applaud each other using the hand clapping thing or a thumbs up, you know, and it feels good, you know, and I've seen a big improvement, not only in sight reading, but also the willingness to volunteer over the last few months. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they'll, they'll, in the beginning, it's just me calling on people who, you know, who reluctantly do it. And now they'll say, oh, I'll try it, you know, so they feel comfortable and you build up that group dynamic. And then for the last 30 minutes, we'll get into um, our rehearsal, which I, again, I do a takedown. Like right now we're working, working on Silent Night from Dan Forrest, which is a beautiful nice. piece. Yeah, it's beautiful. And so um, I'll work on individual parts with them and, um, Next week, we're having some of our section leaders join in. So they'll be in breakout rooms working with individual parts for um, specific pieces. And it's been going pretty well. It's been going pretty well. The virtual choir stuff, the editing takes a long time because, you know, I'm not a Final Cut Pro buff, but I had to become one in like a month or so. So I just watched endless videos on YouTube on how to use it and work it. And thankfully, there's a great community of choir directors who've you know, who made videos to show us how to do this stuff. So thank, I'm thankful for that. It seems like uh, when, when we've talked about this, that, that much as we would want things to be different in the future, that's mm -hmm. not really how you're approaching rehearsals right now. Well, yeah, you just have to, whatever we're at is how we have to just uh, accommodate. So, but it has to have singing at the center. So whatever we do in the future, it might be some combination of some distance learning like this. Um, I'm taking over the chorus over at Cal Lutheran in the spring. And so we're doing the same thing. You know, I'm gonna be streamlining on PowerPoints and going through some pedagogical things. It'll be a little bit more focused on rehearsal because we will be working on like a little bit heavier pieces like Vivaldi's Gloria or something in the spring. Um, but uh, yeah, we can't, we can't be, we have to just see where we're at uh, and then take it from there. It's like, it's kind of like, you have to see where we can be, not where we should be, you know? You have to see where we are and then where we can be rather, rather than where we should be. Um, because then there's an ideal precedent taking over and it's usually, sometimes it's not the group in front of you. It's like about what you like literally are physically able to do at this present yeah. time, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so like the children's chorus, I can talk a little bit about that. I have two children's choruses right now, and um, I usually have three, but, um, you know, because of COVID, and actually I feel really busy these days, so I just combine two of them, and mm -hmm. it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So I just combined them, and so I have two. So now I have one that's more beginners and one that's more advanced, mm -hmm. and they have a curriculum. They have projects that we're working on. Um, we're singing... Um, a Japanese, Japanese, I think Japanese snow is one the one we're doing for Christmas time. So they're learning to sing in Japanese, not actually reading the symbols, you know, but they're actually just uh, reading it. And um, so what I do with them is I do virtual choirs. I don't do as much PowerPoint with them. I use Kodai a methodology with them, um, which is all streamlined very easily. So we'll start off with easy songs like BB Bumblebee or 
apple tree, apple tree, will your apples follow me, and so on. So things that help teach soul me, soul me, soul me, soul lost me. So, you know, it'll just, it's super <laughs> great. It's great, yeah. And that's, that's really important for, and to be age-appropriate music. A lot of people think of age-appropriate music as, you know, doesn't have anything to do with, uh, like, sex or drugs or anything. But this, you know, age-appropriate music meaning towards the intervals that they can hear and sing. Um, so that minor it, you know, third, got to have the minor third, right? <laughs> got to have the minor third, right? So, na 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 na. So, yep. Hey, I got a four-year-old. I know about those minor thirds. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be like, you know, mumble singing to himself around the house, and yep, there's a minor third. <laughs> there it is. There it is. It's so important. Um, and so I don't. I stay away from PowerPoints from them because they just need the eye contact. They want the the involvement. Um, so I, that's really. It's been pretty fun, and we have an hour each for those a week. And the more advanced kids, we've been doing some sight singing with them. And over the course of the last maybe three months, they've become excellent sight singers. <laughs> they've become really oh, that's good awesome. In Soulfish too, and their pitches, they can read their pitches at least at level one and two in according to um, the sight reading factory. So yeah, that's kind of my methodology. I've just been. And I do, and also I just call people to let them know that, hey, you're missing rehearsal. And this is, I, I try to stay away from the mindset also of like, what are, what would you all like to do? No, I, I know what they need to do. They need to do it. I know where they're at. I can see where they're at, and but I can see where we can go. So I say, okay, we're going to have rehearsals at this time. This is what it is now. And you're still part of the choir. You're still part of the church. You're just, it just changes now. So you're still contributing. So if your goal is to contribute music to the church, then this shouldn't be an issue. If your goal is to be seen and heard in a choir, in the choir loft, maybe now we need to readjust it so it matches. We need to provide music to the church. And it's not just, this is also, it shifts us outside of, um, there's a big shift of outside the service, of music outside the service. Um, I think COVID has kind of allowed us, at least allowed me to be more part of the musical community of the church or music of the church community. In um, California or more broadly? In California, in my own parish, you know, and from not, so I'm not, it's just not the musician on Sundays, you know, the hired gun or whatever they think it is, that it's just more like the cantor role that Bach would think, like he's part of every facet of the musical community from teaching the prayers, teaching the solfege, and teaching the the connection between theology and music, and so it's kind of become all encompassing. You know, it's just kind of freed me from just being Sunday director to, I don't know, to be more comprehensive throughout the week. I'm curious how that has happened because I'm thinking like my touch points with the musical group that I work with um, haven't necessarily increased unless I'm calling them, you know, on the phone. Um, mm-hmm. I'm doing things differently but I but I hadn't seen that kind of um expansiveness like a change in expansiveness but I'm curious how that has happened for you I don't know maybe it's just because I'm doing it all the time (laughs) but it's kind of like uh, I'm in contact with people more often than just seeing them on Sundays or rehearsals because everything's working towards Sundays right we're constantly working towards but COVID for me it's been like okay well we don't have a choir for Sundays anymore so what are we working towards now? We don't have that. We don't have a youth orchestra playing for masses. So what do we do? Well, we still have to be contributing music. So now our social media page, our webpage is now we put the videos there 
And now it's something that people can see over and over and over and over again. So it's super important in that way. And, and it lets people see like, okay, well, this music is not just fit for the mass. It's fit for me to worship um, as like my own thing, my own spiritual practice on my own time. So I don't know. I hope, I think that's kind of, kind of how it forms. Uh, I mean, how I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's lovely. And I don't know if lovely is the right word, but like, it's, it's such a, it's such a positive way of, of being, being right now. Yeah. I mean, we have to just, we have to talk about all the time they have. I have a newsletter that I show um, every couple of weeks um, with about 300 subscribers on it that I shoot out and I talk about yeah. sacred music or put videos like right now during the whole Black Lives Matter um, a movement. I put up videos of African-American composers that people have been missing, you know, that people have maybe not been exposed to as much, you know, in church music, we tend to be, at least in Catholic music, we're exposed to, you know, all the Telemans and all the, all the Italian composers and all the French. And for some reason that's supposed to be a lot of Latin, a lot of Latin, you know, um, but for some reason we don't see a lot of other people. And we think that like, Oh, well, Catholic is just being French and being um, Italian when there's, Catholic is all over the world, you know? So. Yeah, that's interesting because of, of all the denominations, like the Catholic Church is, is everywhere. It's everywhere. And yet, for some reason, our sacred music is stuck within a certain time period. And so I use that time to, at least my newsletters, to expose people to new stuff. And it's, it's nice for me because I'm constantly searching, you know? Yeah, but then, yeah just exploring stuff. Yeah, but thankfully to places like Early Music America or ACDA who um, regularly promote that stuff, they, there's a lot of resources that we can go through for that. You've also done concerts. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, so I have a concert series at Cal Lutheran called the Bach Recital Series where I promote the music of Bach and Baroque music in general, um, eventually kind of going into other composers. But um yeah, that's uh, once a month there, and it's it help. It's right now I'm trying to be used to raise money for scholarships for organ students also, and um, we also have another recital series called the Friends and Organ Recital Series, and that's where we fly in other organists from other places, other states or countries, and they come here and play, and they give my students some master classes if they uh, uh, if my students are good and they practice, you know. <laughs> Yes, got to practice. So how are you approaching things right now? And since I assume this is all virtual at this point. Yeah, so um, right now it's just virtual. Some um, my organ students, I only have like a, a few right now. Obviously well, that's because that's some, most people who teach organ, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have maybe like two or three right now. Um, and but some of them took it off because of the semester so they said okay we'll take this off until next time but thankfully um you know being an organ teacher at this at cal lutheran some people have sent out free organs thankfully <laughs> like yeah like like they're old like their grandmother had an organ and they just retired and they passed away and they, they have to oh, get that's wild. Organ, that kind of stuff and so they reach out to me and i send that instrument to my students and so you know and some of them don't have organs of course well, who would you know it's a rich rich instrument who would have an organ how and how if you did how, where would you put it yeah i know where would you put it? I don't have, yeah i don't have an organ at home i come to the church so but you know i i try and find my students organs <laughs> that's a, that's part of my goals so and some of them it's easier sometimes it's harder but that's great hey thank you for um recording this episode and uh listening to to frankie's interjections 
<laughs> I appreciated his enthusiasm. Yeah, you've got things to say, don't you? Oh, yeah, thanks for having me on. That's nice of you to ask. Thank you to Dr. Aiden Fernandez for being on Music and the Church. You can find show notes at musicandthechurch.com, where you can also find lots of resources, including my weekly newsletter and podcast for church staff getting to nimble. And since we've been hearing Frankie on the show, you can also find my Instagram account where there are occasionally pictures of Frankie, the small child that, <laughs> that is, a, is making his cameo on the podcast. Yeah. And of course, if you'd like to get in touch, send me an email at musicandthechurch at gmail.com. I'll be back next month.